Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Psalm 56. Psalm 56 is uh, one of those psalms where we actually know uh, who it's written by and the occasion for its writing. There aren't a lot of these, but I love it when we do have them. Uh, We have those occasions there. So this is for the director of music to the tune of A Dove on Distant Oaks. We don't know that, what that tune was, so you'll have to imagine it. Um, It's of David, though, a miktam, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. And so this is when uh, David is on on the run, and he's got now, uh, he's in enemy territory with enemies... um, (laughs) all around him, everywhere he looks. And this, this is his prayer. So before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us eyes to see as we read your word today, that you would give us ears to hear as we hear it proclaimed, that you would give us minds to understand, and that you would give us hearts that are ready to be changed by your word and by your spirit and the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I know I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust, and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Turning to our New Testament lesson. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. This is again where Jesus is uh, talking to a group, people who have come to find him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's in Capernaum talking at the synagogue there, and they are wanting another free meal. And he says, you don't need just physical bread. You need something so much more than that. That's what you really need. And then he tells them that he is the bread of life. And then picking up in verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a lot of times we read these passages, and if, if you're not used to this, I would just highly recommend that you start getting in the habit. If your Bible has maps in the back, every time that it has a place name, go look that place up in the map and find out where it is. And just as you start to do that, you'll become more and more familiar with the territory. And so then whenever it says Jesus was preaching at the synagogue in Capernaum, you go, oh, I know where that is. And what's uh, something that didn't get put together for me until actually going to Capernaum a couple of years ago was how close this synagogue is to where Peter's house was. Peter, who lived in Capernaum as well. And so when Jesus saying, you know, all these people are leaving. And he's like, you don't want to leave too? And Peter's like, no. To whom else are we going to go? And just how, how easy it would have been for him at that point to say, you know what? My house is right over there. We're right on the edge of the water. I go back to fishing. That's what I used to do. We'll just do that. But he doesn't. We're going to talk about Peter actually quite a bit more today. We're looking at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And if you have been here the last uh, few weeks, this is going to sound not only super familiar, but it's going to sound <laughs> like I've, I've lost track of where I am and I'm just repeating myself because we are now getting the third telling of the same event. Let's hear it first and we'll talk about it. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as it had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, 
Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. All right. This sounds like it's the same story for the third time, and uh, so we might be tempted just to skip it because we've already talked about this last two weeks. And if you were not here the last two weeks, those sermons are online. You can go find out (laughs) what those were about. This, though, even though it's a retelling of the same thing, it's not exactly the same point. There's something else going on here. And I want to talk about, uh, talk about something that hits us pretty close to home first and then, and then talk about uh, actually the main point of this. And that is how to deal with criticism. That's the first thing I want to talk about. How to deal with criticism and then how to deliver criticism. And those are things we all deal with all the time. And that's not even the point of this passage. That's where we're going to start because that's what Peter deals with when he is, comes back from this. And he has this, uh, this situation. There was a, a book, Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, that I read uh, years ago, and I used to go back to this particular section all the time. I found it helpful to know that this is not, it's not something that only I deal with in various situations, but everybody deals with this. And it was this youth pastor who went on a retreat. And he goes on a retreat, and... Of course, I've been thinking about it a lot this weekend. <laughs> he goes on this uh, youth retreat, and on this retreat, lives are changed, and he sees uh, people coming to know Jesus in a new way, and he is so excited. He said that when he comes back to the church, he just knows that on you know, Monday morning when he comes back into the church office that it's going to be like choirs of angels. Everybody's going to be singing his praises for how great this weekend was and all this. And he says instead, he gets back, and he has two conversations with people, one telling him he parked the van in the wrong spot, and two, they're getting on to him because the megaphone that the church owned was broken. And, and he said he just couldn't handle it. And he turned around, and he left the building, and he gets back in his car, and he drives away, and he just goes, finds a place and parks and cries and prays. And what is going on? <laughs> now, this is the situation Peter's in. That's the way I read it. When I read this particular passage, I'm reading it from the lens of that guy. Peter has just been in, uh, in Caesarea, and he's been at the house of Cornelius, this Roman who you would think is Roman centurion, military guy, the oppressors of the Jews. And yet when Peter goes to him, he sees God is actually working in this man's life and in his family, and his life is being changed. And this is a really, really exciting moment. And Peter is, I mean, he's learning all sorts of things along the way too. But when he comes back, you know, he's coming back to Jerusalem. I'm like, this is awesome. You guys aren't going to believe what God is doing. And they're like, oh yeah, we heard. And you were in trouble. <laughs> it was not okay. It was not okay for a Jewish person to go into the house of a Gentile. And especially not to eat with them. And this is what they've heard. Word has gotten back. Word traveling fast is not a new phenomenon. (laughs) So before Peter even makes it back, they've already heard, you were in the house of a Roman centurion, and you ate with him. This is what happened. Now here's, this is where it gets great, though. When you're criticized, it feels like an attack, right? And it it comes in different ways, but you can feel like you're having your, um, your competency attacked or your credibility attacked, your integrity attacked. You can have, uh, you feel like your whole identity may be being attacked. And what is it that we do instinctively when we're attacked? Fight or flight. 
Those are our instincts. When you are attacked, you fight or you flee. And these are not just our instincts. These are Peter's instincts too. You know how I know this? First of all, because he, he's a guy. That's uh, how it is. But secondly, you read the story. When Peter is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the people show up, and they are armed, and he feels like, we're under attack. And what does he do? Fight. He pulls out his sword and starts chopping people's ears off. Okay, one guy's ear. And probably because he missed, because he was going for the whole head. But anyway. But he pulls out his sword, and he fights. That's the instinct. I'm under attack. Fight. And Jesus says, nope. (laughs) That's not how to respond. Later that same night, Peter is now, he's learned, okay, not fighting. That's not what I'm going to do. So then he's there around this midnight trial that's taking place where Jesus is, um, well, things aren't looking good for how this trial is going to go. It's not, there's no justice that's being done here. Yeah, you can see how it's going. And Peter's around hanging out to see what's happening. And we have... uh, this servant girl come up to him and say, hey, you're with that Jesus guy, right? And does Peter fight her? No. He's learned this one. We see that already, that now he, he doesn't start fighting, but what does he do? Flees, right? First, he tries to do it just with his words, and he starts trying to deny and, um, yeah, <laughs> sort of, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm not with him. That's not me. Must have me confused with somebody else. And three times this happens. After the second time, he actually gets up and moves. And then somebody else is like, hey, I think you were with him. No, I'm not with that guy at all. And so three times we see him denying what's actually true. And so we see him using his words to try to flee. And then the rooster crows, and he's like, oh. He remembers that Jesus told him this was going to be the case. And that this isn't the way either. So fighting was not the right thing to do. Fleeing is not the right thing to do. So what are we supposed to do? Like, that's the only thing that comes naturally. But there is another way, and that's what the beauty of this passage is. And that's why, even though it seems like we're hearing the same thing for the third time, it's actually about something else. And what we have here is Peter being criticized. So when he comes back, and he's, like, ready for everybody to be excited because, hey, Cornelius and his family, they, they came to Jesus. This is wonderful. And everybody's like, you went into the house. And so they start criticizing him. They give this attack on Peter, does he fight them? This is instinct, right? Like you expect that Peter's going to come back with like, well, your mom's ugly, but, okay, maybe not that, but, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so, that you're expecting Peter's going to come back with some sort of, you know, verbal, well, you guys, and get onto them. He doesn't do that. There's no fighting here. What about the fleeing? You could also expect that he starts saying, well, <laughs> you guys have it wrong. See, I, I actually, I didn't go into the house. I just kind of stayed outside. I was like, hey, Cornelius. And he doesn't do that either. And those are our temptations. When we get in the same situation, anybody attacks us, they criticize us, we are tempted to either fire back at them verbally. I'm going to take them down <laughs> first. And that's how I'm going to preserve who I, or we're going to say, well, no, you've got it all wrong. It wasn't really like that. And you start spinning it, trying to make it into something that it wasn't. To make it look like you're in the right, even maybe if you weren't. Or to make it look like they shouldn't be upset. 
Even maybe they should. Whatever it is, we don't see Peter doing either of those things. And we know from what we've seen earlier that those are his instincts. And so I think one of the beautiful things about this passage is we are already beginning to see that the person that Peter was is not the person that Peter now is because of what Jesus is doing in his heart and his life. And so what does he do? It's, it's fascinating. This seems like it's the same story for the third time, and you're like, boring. But it's the same story, and that's the point. Peter doesn't give something else. He tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help him, God. <laughs> this is what's going on. He is under attack. He's being criticized, and what he gives back is not fighting, is not fleeing. It's just the truth. This is the honest truth. They say, we heard that this is what you did, and we're upset about it. We think you did wrong. And his response is, that is what I did. Now let me tell you the whole story so you have all the information. And that brings us to my second point here, and that is how these people actually respond, which is another beautiful thing. Because here we have the other, this other group of Christians who are also having their hearts changed. Because here's the temptation for us when we are the ones who are criticizing someone, and that is to make up our minds before we know all the facts. Sound familiar? And so you have heard that so-and-so did such-and-such, and and you just can't believe it. And so you decide you're going to have to talk to them about it. You go to them and you say, I heard you did this. And they say, no, no, it wasn't like that. And you say, I don't care what you said. I already know what happened. Because you're not listening. You've already made up your mind. And uh, before the facts are in, that's not what they do. Do you hear this? It is amazing. This is, it shouldn't be amazing. This is how things should be. <laughs> and that's the point. This is how things should be, but it's not. And so it's amazing when we see it in action. That they criticize him. They say, we think you did wrong by doing what you did. And he says, I did exactly what you think I did but you're missing some of the information. And so as he tells them the whole story, they go, oh. And they take the information they are missing, they plug that back in to what they thought before, and they say, well, in that case, not only do we not think you did wrong, but it ends with praise God. (laughs) Now we see things in a new way. We see what God is doing in a different way than we saw before. And so we see in these people, God is working in their hearts to do something unnatural, or maybe we should say supernatural, (laughs) even as they are able to criticize and still keep an open mind. Oh my goodness, how hard is that? Be able to criticize someone and still be open to listening for the information you're missing. So they hear this, and they say they have no further objections, and they praise God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And that is the point of this story. How we deal with criticism is one, and how we give criticism, is just one part of this new life in Jesus, of how it's affect every part of our lives. But when we have Jesus as the king of our lives, and giving us as a source new life, this is what makes it possible. If Peter knows who he is in Jesus, that he is already totally loved by Jesus, when Jesus calls him on the beach there after, he's, after Jesus is raised from the dead, and he says, do you love me? Three times. 
and welcoming him back after his own denials of him. Peter now, he can go forward. He knows. He knows that Jesus loves him. Now, sometimes <laughs> how he feels, you know, you know, he knows that a little clear too, but he knows now Jesus is for him no matter what. That Jesus loves him no matter what. So when he faces criticism, and that's just one place that shows up in our lives, when he faces criticism, it doesn't throw him into instinctual reaction because it isn't something that now threatens his identity. He knows who he is in Jesus. He knows that he's loved by Jesus. And if these people are criticizing him for whatever, fine. It doesn't change who I am in Jesus. And that's why he's able to then respond with the truth because he knows the one who is the truth. And the same thing then for the people who are reacting that way. It's all about this new life. And that's uh, the point down there in verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The idea here is this is what goes back to the whole structure of the book of Acts that we've talked about from the beginning going through this book, how it's all about Jesus saying, uh, after he's raised from the dead, he gathers disciples together and he says, you're to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you in power, and then you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I have a sneaking suspicion that up until Peter's interaction here, that they thought these were geographical regions where Jewish people would be saved, where Jewish people would come to know Jesus. But now they're understanding, oh, now we see what Jesus meant. It wasn't that it was just for Jewish people who live everywhere. It's for everybody who lives everywhere. That this repentance that leads to life, it is not, it is not just about even Gentiles who now have to figure out a way to become Jewish. So, I mean, there were, there were processes there of how that could happen. And that's not what takes place here. And God has confirmed that these people are saved not because they've become Jewish, but because they know Jesus. And so this is um, the repentance that leads to life. Repentance is one of those Bible words that we probably ought to define every time we use it. And it's just one of those words that just means to turn around. You're going away from God, turn around, face him again. This is the repentance that leads to life. Everything else leads away from life. And now we've seen, even in this little example of Peter and these other uh, Christians, and how that works out in a simple, everyday occurrence of somebody criticizing somebody else. Does that still happen today? Of course it does. And when we read through this, and we see they criticized, Peter doesn't react, but he responds with the truth, and they were able to receive the truth. And we read through that, and we say that's boring. <laughs> I guarantee you, the next time you get criticized, you're going to really wish that your life was this boring. <laughs> that you'd be able to respond with the truth, and that people would be able to receive it with open ears, open minds, and open hearts. Um, that being said, 
we get to see this example in Peter. We also get to see it in our own lives. If we come to Jesus, this is what he does in us. But I will tell you, those old instincts are still there. Those old habits die hard. And so I have seen this take place in my own life. I've actually uh, thought about sharing a couple examples from interactions I've had with individuals in this church. I'm not going to. But I was only thinking of the good ones, the times that actually worked well. And here's the thing. I have seen this in my own life where I've had criticism, responded appropriately, and people have received it. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. This is how the world should be. We know that. We feel it. And yet, even though I've seen it in my own life, I also know myself well enough at this point. (laughs) I'm still always shocked when it happens. (laughs) I'm still always shocked because I have the same temptations and the same instincts, fight or flight. And when I'm criticized and I actually respond like you're supposed to, there's a part of me that's like, watching what I'm doing, going, did you really just do that? Is this you doing that? And you say, praise God, there's evidence that he's still at work. And the same thing when offering criticism. I say, did you do this? They say, well, this is what happened. Oh. And you're able to actually listen to somebody that you're criticizing? Still shocked. But that is what we believe, is that God is at work in our hearts and our lives today. And that this should affect all of our relationships. And it should affect everything. So that in the end, we're saying what these people are saying. Praise God. Because he has granted even to us the repentance that leads to life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.